Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and this is Flora. Flora, say hello. Hi! Good job. <laughs> right on cue. Okay. Sorry, I'm eating my breakfast. Which is two eggs. Well, two egg whites. And Flora gets some eggs, egg whites. She's getting some yogurt with it. I'm going to have some spinach with it. Okay. So we're reading in the New Testament, Matthew 4, Luke 4 through 5. Okay. And then we have a little bit of background on these chapters. Okay. So now that Jesus was baptized, he was about to begin his earthly ministry. Uh, Christ prepared himself by going into the wilderness to commune with God and to fast for 40 days. While he was in the wilderness, Satan came tempting Christ, but he was able to resist each temptation. I love that. Jesus then began his ministry declaring that he was the prophesied Messiah, healing the sick, casting out devils, and calling his disciples to leave their nets and follow him. What happened? What happened? Are you all done? Okay. You don't want any more yogurt? You hardly had any. Okay, we're back. Flora is now playing downstairs. <clears throat> and we get to have a little bit of scripture time. Okay. <clears throat> so it also says here that we need to remember to read the Joseph Smith translation for Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. Because without the Joseph Smith translation, it seems as though Christ went to the wilderness to be tempted. <laughs> that just sounds so silly, right? Like he wants to purposely be tempted. I mean, let's be honest. If anybody's going to go crush it during temptations, it's the Lord. <laughs> so like, I could definitely see like, he being like, yeah, I can totally do this. So I'm going to go over there. But... That, that's totally not what happened, right? Because the Joseph Smith translation clarifies that Jesus went into the wilderness to be with God. <laughs> you want to show Satan what's up? Go to the wilderness and he's going to tempt you and you can see if you pass these tests. Like, I don't think that's how it went down. But <laughs> um, so grateful for the Joseph Smith translation, which clarifies things because he went into the wilderness so that he could be with God, so he could commune with his father, Right. And so he could get some additional training. Um, but then after like additional training before, you know, he actually starts his ministry, which makes sense. It's like his little, you know, MTC prep, um, the little MTC training center for, for Christ, you know, that's awesome. Okay. So then, um, it was after he had spiritual experiences that were awesome that he was weak from you know sometimes when we have lots of spiritual experiences we're a little bit weak in our flesh although our spirit is super strong and then he would but he was like doubly weak because he was weak from um not eating because he was fasting for 40 days too so um so he was weak from hunger and that is when satan came isn't it funny that he comes with food Saint knows what's up. Just bring food. <laughs> People will come and will do all the things. And it's true. I have so many food weaknesses. They all revolve around chocolate and sugar. 
and cookies. And Satan knows this. So if you invite me to something and you have cookies, I'm going to be there. Okay. <laughs> That's just one of those things. Um, but, you know, Satan knows that those kind of things get us. Okay. What is Capernaum? So Jesus publicly announced that he was the Messiah when he was in Nazareth. And then he was chased out of his hometown, which is so crazy to me. He then went to Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing and commercial village with a population under 1,500 people. It was located upon the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee and is believed to be the home of Peter. It was in this village where Jesus performed um, a lot of miracles and a lot of significant miracles. Okay. So we're going to try and read uh, the scriptures here. Um, And it's kind of choppy the way that the redheaded hostess uh, decided to do it. So we're going to be reading Matthew 1, 1 to 4, then Luke 4, 1 to 4, then Matthew 4, 5 to 7, then Luke 4, 9 to 13. And we have the Joseph Smith translations kind of built in to these. Um, So just wanted to give you the heads up. Also, I was able to listen to a Elder Bednar talk um, that kind of talks about this. And so I'm excited to share that news with you. However, I'm going to share it with you, um, after the temptation. So remind me. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So here we go. Uh, Matthew four, one through four. Uh, oh, uh, one. Okay. So yeah, Matthew four verses one to four. Okay. So it says, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be with God, not, although it says in the Joseph Smith trend, in the Joseph, I mean, in the King James Bible and probably other Bibles just says to be tempted of the devil. But why would the spirit lead you to temptation? The spirit does not lead us to temptation, right? So it is to be with God. And then in verse two, it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. And then three, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, so he's trying to get him to prove it, command that these stones be made bread. And then number four, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So he quotes scripture. Um, That's my favorite that like the Lord to resist temptation, he quotes scripture. So keep that in mind. Okay, because how do how could we resist temptation? And if we're going to quote scripture, how many scriptures do we know right now? And if we're going to quote scripture, wouldn't we need to memorize some of those in order to do that? And how would we go about memorizing them, right? Okay, then Luke 4, 1 to 4. Here we go. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, Two, being 40 days tempted of the devil. Okay, so uh, technically it says here, after 40 days, the devil came to tempt him. 
And in those days, he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, if thou be the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Okay, so it's interesting the way that Luke wrote it or the way that, you know, it shows that he wrote it. Um, Being 40 days tempted of the devil. Now, if you're a teenager and you read this and you're fasting, you get tempted the first day and you'll be tempted up until day 40. So (laughs) you can know (laughs) that that statement makes sense, (laughs) right? Um, however, if you're Jesus Christ, it probably, food is probably not quite as a temptation for him as it is for us. And so, um, it just says that it's like after the 40th day or after 40 days, the devil came to tempt him. Right. So, so just keep that in mind, (laughs) but yes, you're right. If we were tempted Uh, If we decided to fast for 40 days, literally every single day of the fast, we would be tempted to eat because that's how we are. (laughs) Okay. Um, Elder Neely Maxwell says, unsurprisingly, Satan appeared at this time of maximum importance for what he had hoped would also be a time of maximum vulnerability. Lo, he, the Lord, shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue even more than man can suffer. And that's found in Mosiah chapter three, verse seven. Perhaps this period of temptation was the most difficult of all for the savior, except for those later hours in Gethsemane and on Calvary. The dawning of the enormity of what he had yet to do, the weight and the fate of so many souls resting upon him. The realization that he, that he, though innocent, must in achieving the atonement experience the fierceness of the justice of God and the reality that he could actually choose or refuse to go through with it at all. No one has ever forced anything like that. Or no one has ever faced anything like that. I would add forced too. But but Elder Neil A. Maxwell said faced. So, and then... um, It says, at this point, Christ has not eaten for 40 days. He can do this because he has the power over death. But he is still mortal and would have experienced every hunger, pain, and physical side effect during this time. So what did Satan focus on? Christ's physical needs at the time when he would have been weak and his body was desperately needing food. The temptation was not to get Christ to eat. Certainly, Jesus was planning to eat at the conclusion of his fast. President Howard W. Hunter explains what this temptation was. He says, Satan's temptation was to have him eat in a spectacular way, using his divine powers for selfish purposes. The temptation was in the invitation to turn stones into bread miraculously, instantaneously, without waiting or postponing physical gratification. And that was found in the October 1976 General Conference by President Howard W. Hunter. Okay, and then we can learn a lot by seeing how Jesus responded to the temptation. He quotes scripture. He quotes truth. Just as in the armor of God, Ephesians 6, 
verse 17 tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Knowing the word of God, truth, is our greatest weapon as we fight against temptation and deception. Satan will try to deceive us, but when we know truth, we cannot be deceived. Christ compared bread to the word of God. See verse 4. Jesus had just communed with God for 40 days. Anything that Satan promises will now pale in comparison. Even though Jesus was weak with hunger, his ultimate desire was to live by every word of God. Bread was not a temptation to him in comparison to that. Okay, so now we're going to read Matthew 4, 5 to 7. Okay, then the devil taketh him. And we're going to replace that. It's not the devil taketh him. The spirit took him there, taketh him up into the holy, holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, Satan quotes scripture. He mixes truth with lies right here. And saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written. He shall say, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Okay, and then uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 9 to 13. Okay, this is the Joseph translation. It says, and he brought him, oh, just kidding, and Jerusalem, and I don't know, hmm, and set him on a pinnacle. So when he was at Jerusalem, he set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from from hence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands, they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, saying unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. <clears throat> okay, so in verse 9, the one I was getting confused at, it says, and he brought him to Jerusalem, right? But we already know that the Spirit was the one that took him to Jerusalem. Okay, um, in the Joseph Smith translation, it corrects this verse to say that Jesus was taken up into the holy city and the Spirit setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. The temple in Jerusalem was the most holy place on earth to the Jews. Here we get a glimpse of what spiritual experiences Christ might have been having during his 40-day fast. It was during his this miraculous or this marvelously spiritual experience that Satan came once again. He began by taunting Jesus, if thou be the Son of God. Then he can prove it by casting himself off the temple, and the angels will save him. Notice that Satan quoted scripture when he said, For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. Jesus had quoted scripture, so Satan does too. Isn't that interesting? Even our enemy knows how to use scripture against us. If our enemy knows scripture and can use it against us, how much more important is it for us to know scripture so we can use it against him? Because scripture is not for Satan, but it's for us to use as a protection, as a guidance, and he's trying to turn it around and use it against us, right? Okay, so he does the whole half-truth thing. Okay, Jesus had quoted scripture uh, to Satan. So yeah, that's what he was doing. Okay. Um, but Satan knows scripture and will use it to confuse and deceive. 
which helps us learn how important it is for us to understand the true meaning of scripture. See, so also Satan tempts Jesus to cast himself off the temple. The temple would have been crowded and many would then witness this event. Whew. This could get him instant followers. Everybody wants that, right? On Instagram. Uh, thus, we can see how tricky Satan can be and how attractive he can sound. As James E. Faust said, Who has not heard and felt the enticings of the devil? His voice often sounds so reasonable and his message so easy to justify. It is an, it is an enticing, intriguing voice with dulcet tones. It is neither hard nor discordant. No one would listen to Satan's voice if it sounded harsh or mean. If the devil's voice were unpleasant, it would not entice people to listen to it. Shakespeare wrote, The prince of darkness is a gentleman, and the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. As the great deceiver, Lucifer has marvelous powers of deception. As Paul said to the Corinthians, And no marvel for Satan himself if is transformed into an angel of light. So, President James E. Faust, The Great Imitator, October 1987 Journal Conference. Okay, I love this talk, actually. And so you need to go listen to it. It's so good. Okay. Um, so now we're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 11. Again, the devil, it says the devil, but then it's like the spirit, remember? Taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus to him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. So, I really like this part of when Satan was done tempting him. Who came to help? Who came to reinforce? Who came to validate his choice of um, refusing those temptations? Angels. Angels. So, you know, sometimes when we make um, good choices, we get that warm feeling inside or like warm fuzzies or, you know, just like feel good feeling um, that kind of helps us know like validate that our choice was good and I never really pictured them as angels coming but I guess it could be that angels are like cheering for us and like telling us like that we did a good job for choosing the right instead of choosing the wrong and that is how we get those good feelings you know so anyways just something to think about I kind of love that imagery right there um, there's some paintings actually that people have done that are of like, well, you know, I look at the ones for women. So like there's a woman and she has her head down. Ooh. She has her head down, but then there's like lots of angels kind of flying above her. And it's kind of cool because they're all like looking at her and, you know, Anyways, I just think it's kind of neat to think that we are surrounded by angels and that are helping us, that are encouraging us when we make good choices, giving us those warm feelings, that are just trying to strengthen us always. And we just don't we just don't see them and we just don't realize it, you know? So it would be good to actually remember and think of that.
Okay, so we had to take a little potty break for Flora. Okay, um, okay, so we're now looking at. Oh yeah, Luke four five to eight. Okay, and the spirit, not the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. I will, I give it. Um, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said un, unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And uh, isn't that crazy? Like, he has all the kingdoms and the glory, and Satan's all, like, trying to mess him up. <laughs> oh, man. That guy. Okay, but he's not a guy. He only wishes he was a guy. All right. So, um, President Howard W. Hunter says, There lurked in... Sorry, okay. There lurked in this appeal from Satan another temptation of the human side of mortal nature. The temptation to perform some dazzling feat, some astounding exploit, which might bring crowds of amazed and attentive onlookers, surely leaping from from the dizzy heights of the temple turret and landing in the courtyard unhurt would be such a feat. This would be a public this would be public recognition that Jesus was a superior being and did have a message from on high. It would be a sign and a wonder, the fame of which would spread like wildfire wildfire throughout all Judea and cause many to believe that the Messiah had indeed come. So that is October nineteen seventy six General Conference President Howard W. Hunter. Oh, we're reading all kinds of quotes from his talk. Okay. Um, all right. And then Joseph Smith, the Joseph Smith translation corrects this verse. Okay. So this is uh verses eight to 11. We haven't quite read all those yet. Yes, we have. Okay. Uh, this verse to say, and again, Jesus was in the spirit and it taketh him again. We are getting a glimpse of the ma- magnificent spiritual experiences Jesus was having and Satan was close by and hoping to twist things in his favor. With two failed attempts, Satan will show his true desires. This time, he does not taunt. He pleads and promises and wants to be worshipped. President Hunter then further taught. In his third temptation, the devil casts away all subtlety and scripture and all deviousness and disguise. Now Now he staked everything on a blunt, bold proposition. From a high mountain, he showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, the cities, the fields, the flocks, the herds, and everything nature could offer. Though they were not his to give, Satan offered Satan offered them all to Jesus, to him who had lived as a modest village carpenter. Okay, so that isn't that crazy? It's so wild to me that Satan's just like trying this hard. But this is this is how hard he tries on Jesus Christ. If he tries this hard on Christ, like he's going to try hard for each one of us too. Um, maybe, maybe he doesn't have to say things like, I'll give you all the world because we wouldn't even believe it. Right. But 
there's certain things that we uh we desire and and he knows so it's easy to tell you know and he's had thousands of years of experience and so when you're thinking like but I didn't even tell anybody that's okay he knows from the actions and the things that we do those goals and things that we have for ourselves even if we don't post them up anywhere However, we should post goals up anyways, because those things, well, righteous goals, I should say, because those things help motivate us and keep us um, on track. But at the same time, you know, if we're putting them up, Satan can see that stuff. So, I mean, if he knows scripture, he can definitely read my goal paper. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, then we're reading Luke 4, 14 through 29. Okay. And Jesus returned in the power of the spirit into Galilee and there went out a fame of him through all the region roundabout, and he taught in the synagogues, being glorified of all. Okay, wait. Uh, before we keep reading that, okay. So those were the temptations of Jesus, and I promised you that I would tell you about Elder Bednar's um, thing. So I don't want to skip over that because I felt like it was super important. Okay, so Elder Bednar said this on. Let's see if I can find the date it was about a week ago so i don't know january 20 somethings 2023 look for it it's a live q a on at david a bednar on instagram so um it's so good it is so good but i'm gonna try and you know paraphrase if i even can some words from the apostle um, Elder David A. Bednar. Okay, so he said that those three temptations were not three, but just one. He said that it was, they were all about him. So like me, 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 me. So the first one, me, cast your, or cast, uh, or make these stones into bread. Turn these stones into bread so that you can satisfy yourself so i can satisfy me my hunger okay and then the other one is cast yourself off the temple because that way i can be popular me 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 i'm gonna be popular i'll get a lot of likes you know it's some big extravagant thing um and then three that all which is hilarious because didn't Christ create the whole earth? So like, why is he even trying to try and convince him that Satan's going to give him anything? Anyway, so of course that one doesn't work. But like, it's another uh, selfish thing. Like, here, you can have all this for you. So me, 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 you, 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 you know, like all these things are for me. And Elder Bernard says that in those temptations it's so that christ can become the natural man so that he can become a natural man which is ironic because all the you know all of our striving is to become like christ but in christ's temptations from the devil from satan it was to become like the natural man so uh, that was super cool and interesting. I didn't realize that they were all like maybe considered could be just one temptation, right? In different ways. 
one of them having to do with our um, appetites and desires for uh, immediate gratification of food or whatever for our bodies, immediately immediate gratification for for our bodies, and then two immediate gratification for uh, popularity. And three, immediate gratification for stuff, for so much stuff, right? All the world. Hi, Flora. Flora's over there. Going to be playing with some wipes. Hopefully she doesn't take them all out because that's what she's done in the past. Um, I'm hoping it's sealed up, but who knows? Okay, so then he also suggested that there's this other part. Um, and as soon as I get to it, I will... I will add that. Okay. And now, um, so we're reading in Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 29. It says, and Jesus returned to the power, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all and praised by all. Right? So, and then, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there, so there, there's an episode of The Chosen about this. It's pretty awesome. So make sure you go listen, go watch that season three. Okay. And it came to, bit, bit, bit. and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaias and Isaias is Isaiah, by the way. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So here's the messianic prophecy that he read. That he read Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fast, were fastened on him. Okay, because this is when he declares that he's the Messiah in Nazareth synagogue, right? What's up with you want some more eggs? <laughs> She's smiling at me. You want some more eggs? You love eggs? Or do you want or do you want turkey? Would you prefer turkey? No, you want eggs. Okay. Okay, so after Jesus' wonderful experiences on the mount and after the temptations, his public ministry is about to begin. And it begins in the power of the spirit. Uh, if a fame had to be spread about concerning John the Baptist, how much more was more this fame would have gone forth with Christ himself teaching in synagogues and performing miracles. People were expecting the Messiah, and now the very man who, who John the Baptist pointed out as the Messiah is publicly being beginning his ministry. Jesus then returns to his home village of Nazareth. As he had always done, in the, on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue and stood up to read. Standing up to read was a common practice. And the leader of the synagogue would allow others who were fit to do so to stand and read. Certainly, with Christ's character, this was most likely something he had done many times before. 
the leader of the synagogue likely would have handed Jesus the scroll that contained the lesson he intended to be read. In, his, in this case, he handed Jesus a scroll that contained the book of Isaiah. When Jesus opened or unrolled the book, he found the scripture that we know as Isaiah 61, 1-2, which is a me- messianic prophecy. This prophecy lists things that the Messiah would accomplish when he came to earth. Well, that's kind of wild. Like, to read that would be pretty amazing. Frodo, get down. Also, I just want you to know, it's so funny because the time that it is and the time that I'm recording and the time that I started is all wonky. So, like, it says I started at 9.54 a.m., which is true. So, let's round it to 10. It is now 11.20 Okay, but I've only been recording for 32 minutes or 33 minutes. So you can just see now how long it takes (laughs) to read scriptures when you have little kids. So be patient with yourself as you're reading scriptures when you're in the middle of life and they need you to help them with potty time or they need you to play with them or they need you to feed them (laughs) it's so silly and so yeah you're gonna be interrupted but it's your attitude oh yeah she says yep you're gonna be interrupted but it's your attitude that you bring to everything that you do that will dictate how your day will go so that is something that I've been reading and learning about actually in this other book from Brandon Bouchard. And I would recommend it. It's called High Performance Habits. And he basically, in a nutshell, tells us that we are in charge of um, our own joy and also bringing joy to a situation, but also the way we feel is in our control and while he's not like a psychologist or anything he's obviously had a lot of um time researching and things like that but i agree with him and it lines up with all the things that i've been learning and reading as i have done my research in that kind of stuff and experienced um you know therapy and things like that so so yes uh there you have it if you're reading scriptures and you keep getting interrupted that's going to be normal and it's up to you whether you're going to be upset or not. It is not your child's fault that you are choosing to read your scriptures right now. It is not your child's fault to that, you know, they're little. It is not your child's fault that you didn't wake up at five o'clock in the morning and decide to read then so that if you really did want to be on a, in an in, uninterrupted, you could have re- read at that time. So please don't take out your uh, lack of lack of control over your calendar because they don't deserve that. So they deserve your best self always and make sure, okay? Just make sure because it can get crazy. Satan can convince us that it's their fault or, I mean, even if it were their fault, it's still our job to, because we're the adult, to control ourselves and control our feelings and control our emotions and control our actions. So we are always in control. Oh, thanks for bringing that over. You're so nice. Thanks, miss. Her mom. Thanks. Uh, I think she's in my bathroom now. (laughs)
Do I get mad? No. I must have not closed the door. <sighs> but also, if I do close the door, she'll probably be able to open it soon. <laughs> and I still won't be able to get mad. Why? Because this is her house too, you know? Okay. Anyways, um, back to reading our scriptures here. Okay, so we're reading Luke chapter 4, 14 to 37. Okay, and it began, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceedeth out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. So go take care of your own self and home, is what that means. Oh, thank you. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of, the, of a truth, many win widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, or Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. This is the widow of Zarephath. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliseus, Eliseus, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Nahum the Syrian. Oh, thank you. Wow, thanks, Flora. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the, bro the brow of the hill, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. And, but he, passing through the midst of them, went his way and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them in on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at this at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. So the devil knows who Jesus Christ is, of course, and he's feeling all threatened. So Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold, to, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And the people witnessed Jesus' power. Okay, so it says, number 36, And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Oh, boy. Okay, so then, let's see. Perhaps, perhaps they had heard that John had introduced Jesus as the Messiah, or perhaps hearing the very person whom this messianic prophecy was written about, 
read it aloud, would have been something to behold. Either way, the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Which is so cool. Jesus then said, unto, uh, said to them that this day in, in, is this scripture fulfilled in your, in your ears. He was declaring that this scripture was no longer a future prophecy, but that the day it was fulfilled. Um, he is and will do all these things. That would have been really cool to be there, though, you know, to be like, wait, what? I wonder, I always wonder, like, would I have been able to, like, recognize and accept him as he taught? So I'm hoping that I would. Uh, While other Jews were coming to the Christ, those in Nazareth instead said, is not this Joseph's son? There was a proverb among the Jews, physician, uh, physician, heal thyself, which meant rather than trying to heal others, go take care of the problems in his own home. Nazareth was his home and his townsfolk had heard the miracles he had already performed in Capernaum. Why wasn't he performing these miracles in Nazareth? I do wonder that though, you know, I guess something he knows more than I do. That's for sure. Because, like, if you think about it, if he was born in a city and he knew those people, right, and he was maybe friends with them, he would probably know what their problems were. How come he wouldn't be able to heal him or heal them? Maybe it's the whole, like, friends with benefits thing, you know? Because then it's like, wait, you were you're Jesus all along and, like, you could have healed like maybe all the thing all the traumas that people have had in the past in their lives Jesus could have prevented and now they blame him and they say you could have saved so and so and and why didn't you heal so and so and you could have helped me when I was going through this how come you didn't you know maybe maybe that's why it would be bad because then everybody would just want healing for themselves so it's like all of a sudden everyone becomes super jealous or super super jealous but also super selfish and nobody is looking out for each other and so he probably just didn't want to turn his whole town into just like a line of procession people just trying to get some blessings from Jesus right so that's probably what it was I'm guessing Jesus then recalled two scriptural accounts when prophets were not accepted by their own and so went forth to bless for uh, foreigners in Elijah's day, there were many widows in Israel during the famine, but he had to go into hiding. And instead of being able to bless the widows in Israel, he went to the widow of Zarephath, which was outside of Israel. Also during the days of Elisha, there were many lepers, but it was Naaman whom he healed. So there we have it. Okay. Okay. Um, and then Luke four twenty eight to 29, the Jew, the Jews in the synagogue were so greatly offended that they threw Jesus out of his hometown and took him to the edge of the hill with the intention of casting him over. This was a known, this was a known form of capital punishment. It doesn't explain how, but somehow Jesus was able to escape the hands of those in Nazareth who wished him harm or death. Okay. Also in season three of the chosen 
uh, series, you got to go watch this. This is so cool. They don't, I mean, like in the movie or in the show, the way they depict it is they, they never even laid a hand on him and just, you know, it's like they, it's like they knew, but then they didn't know. So like they led him to the edge and they really didn't, couldn't even touch him or maybe didn't want to, or maybe realized that they need to not touch him, you know? And then they just let him turn around and go back. So. It was kind of funny. Or it was kind of cool to see the way that it was. They were uh, depicting it. Okay. Then Jesus went to the city of Capernaum, which was on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was a busy fishing town with a mix of Jews and Gentiles. It was very different from Nazareth. Nazareth was 12 miles away from the Sea of Galilee and was a small Jewish village. You can explore Capernaum and Nazareth using Google Maps. It will show you the modern day towns, but but you can virtually visit sites in these locations that tourists would have would have would visit. You can also see where these towns were located within Israel. Okay, so I think I'm gonna. No, I'm going to read this one last thing and then I'm going to be dead because now I'm falling asleep <laughs> and we got to go get the car registered. So as he had done in other places, Jesus went to the synagogue where he found a man that was possessed with a devil and the devil cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God, Jesus, who was just cast out of his hometown by strict law-abiding Jews because he claimed to be the Messiah comes to Capernaum where a devil knew exactly who he was. Jesus then rebuked the devil and commanded him to leave the man. Those in the synagogue who witnessed this were amazed at what they just saw and the miraculous event was soon spread throughout the land. Oh, brother Simister's calling me back. Nice, so excited that Brother Sinister is going to help us. He said he would help us with the Pinewood Derby. He's going to give the talk on the race to the temple. It's going to be amazing um, because he is a temple sealer. So anyways, anytime we can hear from him, it's great. Because usually, you know, temple sealers, they give their little spiels only to the people that are in the room. And so I have not gotten to hear, like, you know, a little something of what he would say to people who got sealed. So anyway, it's kind of fun to have him come in and share. And just so happen he has some tools that um, he has like a workshop or whatever that people can come in. He said he's willing to help people. So that's good news too. So we're doing our Pinewood Derby on the 11th. I am really sad though because I'm going to be missing one of Finn's games. So that's sad. Anyways, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to make it to everything else. Okay, here we go. So we have, um, we're moving on to Luke chapter 4, verses 38 to 44. And I'll be reading that. It says, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with 
diverse diseases, brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and we and healed and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, "Thou art the, thou art Christ, the Son of God." And he rebuked them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into the desert, went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Okay, and says seek and expect miracles do these spiritual work to seek miracles prayerfully ask god to help you exercise that kind of faith oh that sounds like a dangerous prayer anyway careful with that one i promise that you can experience for yourself that jesus christ giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increaseth strength president russell m nelson april 2022 general conference it's good though you know it's good to to seek miracles and prayerfully ask god to help you exercise that kind of faith it's so hard because you're like i i want to you know you you want to seek for miracles in your everyday life but this this quote from president nelson almost seems like i'm asking for it you know what i mean it's almost like the whole be careful what you wish for kind of thing and so I, I would probably, I, I'm a chicken. Yes, that's right. I am a chicken. Um, if I were to think of it this way, I would probably um, pray to find the miracles that are already in my life. That's how I would word it. <laughs> Uh, I know. I know what you're thinking. It's okay. Um, all right. It's, it is totally okay to be afraid of the challenges that life brings. It is also okay to not pray for stuff like that to happen in your life. Like, I'm just trying to think of, like, people in my life that I admire. And I'm like, wow, it's the reason I admire them is because they've gone through so many things. And like i don't want to go through that so no worries it's like i'll keep my trials on my table and they can keep their trials on their table and we're good to go <laughs> we're gonna stop talking about that though because too much talking about that is brings things up anyway okay so luke 4 38 to 39 commentary peter simon was a married man who was caring for his mother-in-law who was sick with a great fever so take a moment to consider what Peter and his wife would have been experiencing. Oh yeah, dude. If you've ever lived with in-laws or grandparents, you know what this could be. Now, add on top of that, if they are sick and have a great fever, figure out what that would do, okay? Peter and at least one other person besought made an urgent appeal for Christ to come to her. Imagine what that might have sounded sounded and looked like imagine what they might have said and how quickly they hoped he would respond and jesus came and when he did he rebuked the fever and the miracle was immediate the fever left her and immediately she arose and she began to minister to them imagine how peter would 
would now understand a little bit better what people would be experiencing when Jesus would soon work miracles after, miracle after miracle. To the right is the scene from The Chosen. Oh, there, there's like a QR code. Um, it's Jesus Heals Simon's Mother-in-Law, The Chosen. So be sure to watch that episode. Okay, and then uh, Luke 40 to 44, 40 to 44, as the Sabbath was ending it ended in at sunset all that they had any all they that had any sick or all those in Capernaum who were sick came to Christ and he healed every one of them how different was the reception of Jesus in Capernaum the sick in Nazareth remained sick still but in Capernaum all they that had any sick he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them as Christ worked his mighty miracles and his and this town began to turn to him, the devils did not sit idly by. It can remind us of what Brigham Young said when speaking about the adversity and the saints, or adversity that the saints met when they began to build a temple. He said, we never began to build a temple without the bells of hell ringing, uh, beginning to ring. That's found in Enzyme, August 1993. Nazareth tried to cast Jesus out of their village and throw him over a hill. But in Capernaum, the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. Isn't that neat? It's like the complete opposite of what his hometown did, you know? And I guess depending on how you receive people, you know, this kind of is another lesson on possibly boundaries, right? When people don't treat you right, you're going to distance yourself from them, right? Christ left. He was like, I gotta go. You guys aren't handling this well, so I'm gonna go somewhere else. And then that somewhere else was blessed by his presence, him being there. He was able to use his gift of healing and his power to bless those around him. Just like us, when people don't take advantage of who we are or they are putting our gifts down or they are bullying us or they are being mean or they just don't care about us or, you know, like treated, treated the way Christ was treated, then it is okay to separate yourself from them and go somewhere else and go somewhere else where people will um, believe you or where people will um, use those gifts that you've been given in a positive way to help them, where you'll be able to be free of death threats, you know what I mean? And where you'll be able to um, do the best good. And so that's a lesson on boundaries right there. You know, don't stay where people don't treat you right. Okay. That's just called torturing yourself. And even Christ didn't put up with that mess. Okay. Um, there's a difference, right? Because there, there was a point when he did need to put up with it, right? Because that was what his call was. But prior to that he didn't need to right so if you're if you feel like you're called to do some kind of uh thing where you have to endure a bunch of bullying and a bunch of you know stuff like that maybe on your mission you know and you are basically stuck in that same area you know i get it like then you can't really go anywhere you can't move 
um, right? Because that's where you've been assigned and you've been assigned there for a reason and it's your job to find out why. Um, but later in life, you know, when you're not on a mission and you're living in a neighborhood who's not treating you right, you can just get up and leave. <laughs> Giving you permission right now. And if they're not treating you right, make sure you tell your mom so that I can go over there. You know what I mean? Pull some orejas. All right, here we go. So now we're going to read Matthew 4, 12 to 17, and then we're going to go pick up house. Okay. Um, here we go. So now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and Nephthalim that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by Isaiah, the prophet saying remember Isaiah is isaiah the land of zabulon and the land of nephthalim by the way of the sea beyond jordan galilee of the gentiles the people which sat in darkness saw great light and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death light is sprung up so they will receive the gospel and no longer sit in the spiritual darkness that they're in from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so this is Jesus preaching in Capernaum. And um, in the commentary, it says, you can find a detailed account of the imprisonment, imprisonment of John in Matthew chapter 14, 1 through, 13, 1 through 13. John was in prison because he told Herod Antipas that it was unlawful for taking his brother Philip's wife. Here, in these verses, Jesus first hears of John being imprisoned, and this would have been very serious. Okay, so just to... I can't remember if I've already told you about what Elder Bednar said the second half, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you again, and if you've already heard it, you can fast forward 30 seconds. Um, okay, so I told you about Elder Bednar talking about the three temptations being one, okay, and then the second half of that was how um, Christ, after he had been tempted and, uh, or after he had... Um, fasted for 40 days and was uh, basically done having, you know, those spiritual experiences, but also being tempted by Satan. He was very weak, right? And the angels were sent to him um, to, to help him. But in the footnote of verse 11 through 12, um, it says that, and it's a J Joseph Smith translation, Matthew four eleven to 12. It says, and now Jesus knew that John was cast into prison and he sent angels and behold, they came and ministered unto him, John. And then Jesus departed into Galilee. So it seems, and Elder Bednar said that it's, it seems that the way that Christ um, handles adversity is that he looks outward and instead of keeping those angels to himself he kind of redirected them to go to John the Baptist because he was in jail and suffering right and that kind of he says that that shows the character of God that he looks outward 
when um, he is going through trials when most of us, because of our natural state, um, look inward and we're usually selfish and self-centered and worry about ourselves first. And Jesus Christ automatically looks outward and that's that's who we want to be like um that we want to be like jesus christ that we want to look outward when we're going through a trial oh there was this thing that somebody said oh yes it was sister chelsea cole and she was giving a talk about trials and how um the lord can strengthen us through our trials and she said something so powerful let me see if i don't butcher it um she said that we need to love each other through our trials so and i was like that's so true you know because we are children of god and everybody else is children of god and christ gave us the love thy neighbor as thyself commandment right after he said to love god and so if we're keeping his commandments and we want to and we are going through a hard time well when we keep commandments we're blessed so if we can keep that second commandment to love our neighbor to love another child of god how much more will we will we be blessed i remember also elder is it neil anderson that said the wounded who help the wounded are god's angels on the earth and so I remember that quote um, from when I was going through uh, experiencing all the betrayal trauma feelings and things like that um, and the torture that Satan was having on me. And like I couldn't even think of trying to help other people. But within my circle of warrior sisters, we were helping each other through our hard time. And that was a blessing. And we were able to bless each other's lives even though i didn't feel like i was being super productive and like dropping off gifts to people or doing my normal like service oriented things it was a gift and it helped me to heal as i was helping those sisters around me um, in the same boat heal as well so anyways that's so powerful and i love that elder bednar like pick that out that he noticed that in his in his scripture reading and because it helps me notice that too in uh the same way but then also in a little different way so anyway okay um we are going to read the rest of this little commentary and then we're gonna save the rest for tomorrow on friday okay so you uh these verses are covering some of the time covering the same timeline timeline as when jesus began his ministry matthew doesn't give an account of what happened in nazareth but we know from luke's account that christ was rejected there and they sought to kill him capernaum was on the seashore of galilee it was a busy fishing town where he will find five of his future apostles Matthew, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, four of the whom were fishermen there. Matthew pointed out that Jesus' ministry was a fulfillment of one of Isaiah's prophecies. 
And if you look at Bible map number three, you can see that the land of Israel had been divided into the land of inheritances for the tribes. So much of the Galilee area belonged to the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Also in verse 13, Isaiah had called this area Galilee of the Gentiles. Capernaum had a mixed population, population some, Jews, some Jews and some Gentiles. The prophecy was that the people there would be sitting in darkness. But when the gospel comes to them, they will see great light. Of course they will see great light, right? And that kind of goes back to the other chapter where we are able to, where, the, where Isaiah says that mountains will be made low and valleys made high and you know if the lord can move mountains he can move he can make things happen in your life that are hard oh and that is amazing um okay so we are in luke 5 and i don't know if you can hear it but i am trying to walk today um so that I can get my body moving and my spirit active because you guys know that I believe that we can strengthen our spirit and our body at the same time. So, um, okay, Luke 5 chapter, or Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen, okay, the fishermen that he's talking about are Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were gone out of them and were washing their nets. Okay, you guys got to watch The Chosen, okay? It is so, it like brings the scriptures to life. It's so cool. But what's really cool, I think, is now as I read the scriptures, I can almost picture these people like bringing the scriptures to life for me while I read and so it makes it almost more accurate right because obviously the chosen tv series is just like people acting and and although they've had a lot of scholars that have like tried to help them and everything make sure that everything is as accurate as can be they took some liberties of course you know and but but it's cool to like remember those scenes and be able to put it together. It's kind of like, you know, I'm kind of like a visual learner. Um, I can read and read and read and it's not as engaging for me to just read stories or experiences or true stories or whatever, because I like, I don't know. It's just something that I haven't ever really been able to, to overcome, but like I can read, um, how-to books because they keep me engaged like they give me assignments they tell me what I need to do whereas like I mean I know the scriptures are kind of a how-to book but a lot of it is like stories of people trying some of the things anyway so like um it's nice to see it's it's nice to watch the movie if you will and read the book clearly I've read the book already before the chosen came out and hopefully that's the that's the pattern that you've done where you re you've read the scriptures and then you watch the shows and then you read scriptures again and then it just it just enhances your scripture study i think and so it's really cool um it's like harry potter you know you love the books 
then you love the movies, then you love the books some more. It's like very, it's like the same thing, you know? Um, except this is like 10x better because it's like for your spirit, you know? So anyways, here we go. And uh, so they were washing their nets. And number three, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. So like, let them lower them down and sweep for fish. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net, right? He's like, I'm gonna do it, but never the let. Like, I don't want to. I've already done all the things. Been here all night, been doing this all night. But then he says, nevertheless. So like, I will still do it because you asked, right? Because you said, that means that I believe you. So I'm gonna do it for you, right? And when they had done this, verse six, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. So I love this pattern, patterned. I love this pattern of obedience, you know? He was fishing, he was doing all the work. He stayed up all night, was out there, working so hard, killing himself to get all the fish. Didn't get anything, okay? They were done fishing. Then Jesus was able to preach. So we have uh, listening to the word. So you tried so hard all night doing all the hard things. And then, uh, and then you finish and you're listening to, the word and then you get a prompting from the lord right that's the lord telling him like go do this again and he's like fine i did i already did all this but okay so i then he gets a prompting and then he does it and then the miracle happens so the miracle didn't happen before he tried so hard right he had to try so hard and was up all night but the miracle happened after he listened to the word of the lord and, and because after he listened to the word of the Lord, or the, I should say the words of the Lord, right? After he listened to the words of the Lord, then he got a prompting from the Lord. And then he did it, even though he had already tried so hard, but he said, nevertheless, I'm going to do it, you know? And then he found, and then he had that miracle. So, so the pattern here in our lives, okay, I'm going to translate this for us in English. Okay work super hard right work super hard and then the scripture that tells us be still and know that i am god so then we work super hard we be still okay and listen we make space to listen to the words of god through prophets through apostles okay we're reading our scriptures okay and then we listen some more for a prompting what is the lord trying to tell us right and so once he gives us that prompting, we heed that prompting, okay? No matter what, nevertheless, right? I'm still going to do it. So we work hard. We listen to the words of God. We listen for a message directly to us, 
something that we can do, like action, right? He's going to have us, he's going to tell us what we can do, right? Because all the things that the Lord tells us, the scriptures are going to tell us all the things, uh, or the Spirit's going to tell us all the things that we should do through the listening to him because we were listening to the scriptures. And then he's going to prompt us. And if we do that prompting, even though we've tried so hard and didn't get any results, then we see the miracle in our lives. Okay. I don't know if that's a good equation. <laughs> I think it's awesome. You know, because sometimes we miss the super work, super hard working part, right? The work super hard part. And we skip right to the like, well, it didn't work. You know, we skip all those things and we're like, nothing happened. Right. Well, that's because we didn't make space and we didn't listen to the message that he's trying to give us. And we didn't heed his prompting. And so we miss the miracle, right? Or sometimes you could be doing all those things and witness the miracle and have the miracle happen. And you don't even acknowledge the fact that you had received the miracle. And so that's another, that's another topic. Anyway, okay, number seven. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. So now, <laughs> all that hard work is about to go wasted because it's so big. So many blessings, you know. And like it's it's so big, it, like the blessing and the miracle that we're going to see in our lives that we won't have en enough room to receive it. Remember, that's also another scripture. So the windows of heaven, okay, will open. And we won't have room enough to receive these blessings. And I love that the Lord is willing, like the way we think he's going to bless us or the way we want him to bless us is so much less than what he is trying to bless us with, right? Like, I bet they, I bet when they were fishing, they were like, please bless us so we can catch some fish, you know? Not once did they ever, well, probably not once, did they ever ask, can you fill our boat so hard and so much with so much fish and like that it, they'll start to sink? Like, they probably didn't even know that that could happen. And so I love that, you know, where like just trust in the Lord and he's going to bless you so much more than the small blessing that you're asking for, even though that small blessing seems really huge in your life, right? Those, because that was their, that was their livelihood. That's how they made money for their families to survive. That's how they ate. That's how they, you know, anyway, um, I just, I love that story. Okay, and then when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isn't that, isn't that true? Sometimes we see those miracles and we're like, not even worthy of such a miracle. How come? Like, I only wanted a few fish. I just wanted my net full, and now I can't, I don't even have space to receive it. Like, what? Like, how come? How come I get, I get to have all this? And then it's really humbling, you know, to, to witness those miracles in our own lives from the Lord. And then it says, number nine, for he was astonished and all that were with him 
at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. Drought. Oh, it's drought. This is not drought. <laughs> I was like thinking, why is that word the same as like, no, nothing. Okay, but it's drought. Okay. Um, and so was also James and John. This is John the Beloved. The sons of Zebedee which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Oh, and I love, I just love that they were able to witness that miracle. And then when we do witness that miracle in our lives, that the Lord does for us, what does that fill us with, you know? Like immense gratitude for me. And it gives me that desire to like go out and tell people about Jesus. Okay, some fun stuff that uh, the redheaded hostess shares here is um, that the they used, that Christ must have used the water as like a PA system. So she says, have you ever been at a lake and been able to easily hear people on a boat or around the lake? sound travels easily over water. So this could have been a natural PA system. Rather than using microphones, amplifiers, and loudspeakers, Jesus could use the water. So Jesus got in the boat and told Peter to thrust out a little from the land. And from there, he taught the people out of the ship. Oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't even think that that was like a thing. Okay, and then... Um, she points out here that Luke does not mention Peter and his brother Andrew working as fishermen together, but Matthew in his record does. So here Matthew tells us that there's that their fishing partners were James and John, who were another pair of brothers. So after witnessing the miracle of the nets being filled, Jesus said, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. This invitation will change the rest of their lives and beyond. If they accept this invitation, they will be eyewitnesses to the Savior's ministry and become his apostles. They will carry on the gospel after Christ's death and heal others just as Christ did. Their names will be forever known among mankind, or they could stay in their honorable occupation as fishermen. This was a pivotal moment in their lives. Luke tells us that they forsook all and followed him. Matthew tells us that they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. There was no hesitancy. They were ready. Nothing, not even boats full of fish would keep them from him. You know what I love about that is the fact that like they were so, they were, they knew the scriptures so much. That when they witnessed Jesus Christ in flesh, in person, that they didn't hesitate at all to follow him. Like if somebody were to just come up to me and be like, follow me. I'd be like, uh, I have so many things to do, you know. Sorry, uh, nice try. If you need a ride, maybe I'll give you one somewhere, but... You know, but these, these men knew the scriptures so well. They grew up, they were taught, they learned. Because if they hadn't 
they would never have recognized the savior. They would have never recognized him for who he was. And when he asked to follow him, they wouldn't have immediately gone. And so it's just, it's just inspiring, you know? They weren't perfect, of course. And that's what I love about The Chosen. You know, you just hear of these men like, oh, they're so awesome. They obviously knew who Christ was. They read the scriptures and they just immediately followed him. Wow, I wish I could have that kind of faith, you know. But like, and it's true, I do. But like, I think it's awesome also that when they depict these men in the TV series, The Chosen, that like, they show their that they're not perfect and i and i love that part because i sometimes think that i need to be perfect but i don't have to be perfect to follow the savior we do not have to be perfect to follow him he doesn't require that from us elder joseph b wordland of uh april conference 2002 said if the savior were to call you today would you be just as willing to leave your nets and follow him. Nets come in many sizes and shapes. We might define a net as anything that entices us or prevents us from following the call of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Nets in this context can be our work, our hobbies, our pleasures, and above all else, our temptations and sins. In short, a net can be anything that pulls us away from our relationship with our heavenly father, or from his restored church. Wow, that's powerful stuff right there. I'm gonna let you ponder on that. Okay, so we're now gonna read Luke. Hold on. Okay, we're gonna re read Luke 5, 12 to 16. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. So Leprosy back in the day is like a terrible and super contagious skin disease. Um, there's like sores all over your body and like people would um, send them to other places so that they wouldn't con be contagious to the people in the city. And so they had to be like shunned away. Um, and it wasn't something that you could like heal from. So they just had to be away and they had to have like a, their own place kind of thing. Um, until they died, right? Because that was like what they were doing. That was like the thing that they had to do with them because people were scared. So, so this man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And again, Lepers were viewed as very unclean by the Jews. Um, and this is what, this is what happens in verse 13. He says, and he put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. So a couple things, you know, the savior touching him was like, not a good thing. Uh, because other people would probably think that he was now going to have leprosy, right? And so that was something uh, I think that Christ did for the 
for him, you know, showing the leper that he mattered, that he cared about him because he touched him. Um, I bet that he, that poor leper hadn't touched anyone for so long, you know? And anyway, then in verse 14 says, and he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto him. But so much more, wait, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of, of him and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by, by him of their infirmities. So he healed lepers. So healed lepers had to go through a purification to be pronounced clean. And so that's why Jesus told them to like go and show thyself to the priest. That way the priest could prove that he really was clean. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a COVID test. You know, they had to take a COVID test to make sure that they no longer had COVID so that they could be out, be approved to go on their flight or go in public or whatever, you know? So just think of it like that. Um, and then it says, oh, and then there's like, it's interesting because I was listening to one of the podcasts and it says that, why did Jesus tell him to not tell anybody? And there's a lot of like speculation that scholars have um, thought about, about maybe, you know, if Jesus did touch him, then Jesus wouldn't be able to go amongst other people, maybe because people feared the disease so much, you know? Um, and then like, it could also, I mean, I don't know um, if he were to try and tell other people, it wouldn't go so well because he didn't prove it with the priest first, you know? So maybe that's why he was like, first step is you need to go and go to the priest and make sure to, will approve that. And then, so maybe it was more of like a step-by-step, -step, like don't tell anybody yet, but first show thyself to the priest, right? So could be that, you know, obviously we weren't there. So we're just like speculating everything and scholars speculate stuff too. They just know a lot more because they study it. Um, but anyway, let's, um, uh, Redhead Hostess actually has a bunch of uh, info about what leprosy is. So they were also seen as unholy. They were required to warn others not to come close to them and were forced out of the community. Um, they, leprosy was seen as a living death and it was highly dreaded. People with leprosy were viewed as unclean and people had to avoid contact with them. If a leper was miraculously healed, which was believed to be as improbable as being raised from the dead, <laughs> they would need to go to the priest and go through a purification ritual before being pronounced clean. So, and then it caused like lumps and discoloration of the skin and could even be, bring disfigurement that could cause fingers and toes to shorten or be disformed or be deformed. So it's like really bad. Um, it's like gruesome skin disease. So dad came to visit and I needed to share yes, last night. Poor dad got into a car accident in the van and luckily and gratefully so blessed that he is safe and okay. It was really, it was really sweet the way Faust was super concerned when I told him. He just stayed quiet and I think 
he was just kind of praying in his heart to make sure that dad was okay. And then Faust sent a little text on his watch, you know, and was asking him, like, did you get hurt in your body? Are you okay? And anyways, I was super grateful that he was okay because car accidents are so scary to me and I never want to get a phone call like that, you know, where it would be really traumatic because I know other people have had that happen. And it's just really sad, you know. Um, One of our friends, the Wilkerson's, had their son got in a car accident and he died. And it was just like really bad. And so I'm just, you know, I'm just and just so grateful. Um, there was there was a time when I probably would have thought that it would have been uh, better, you know. And I, it's sad to say for sure uh, because I I would actually never really want that to happen. But it was a time when we were just having the hardest time in our marriage and. There was a time when he thought that would be better, and it was just so hard. And so to now have that be so close, I'm like, oh man, so grateful that 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 is not where we're at in our relationship, and I'm so grateful that that is not uh, something that actually happened. And something that's interesting is Jonathan said that he was talking to Hobie like two days ago or something. And Hobie is currently 92. And he said that he asked Jonathan if he got in a car accident. And Jonathan was like, what? No. And then Jonathan told Ma and, you know, they thought it was kind of weird. And Jonathan said today when we told him and he's like, whoa, that's weird. Maybe Hobie knew that somebody was going to get in an accident and that's why he was asking. And so uh, I am guessing that the veil is starting to thin for Hobie and maybe that is something that he was supposed to tell us. And, you know, I don't, I don't spend enough time with Hobie for him to talk to me that long, you know, to, so anyway, maybe he would have said something to me had I known. And then I would have told Clark, like, be careful. You know, because I was telling Jonathan, I'm like, why didn't you say something? You know, like anytime my mom has this like eye twitch, she thinks something bad's going to happen. <laughs> and so she would always tell us. And so we'd be like extra careful because <laughs> for some reason, Hispanic people are very superstitious. <laughs> anyway, and so, of course, had Jonathan said something to me or uh, about that, I would have been like, everybody's got to be careful. You know, you got to drive super careful. Um, anyway, um, okay, back to our, come follow me. So, uh, oh, and then of course our neighbors are so amazing. They're like, we're bringing you dinner. And I'm like, really, you don't need to, but okay. But like, you know, it's so funny. I, I know what it's like to be denied the opportunity to bring somebody dinner and it kind of hurts and it kind of stings a little bit. So I didn't want to say no. And you know, like, no, it's okay. I can do it myself. You know, like so many times, no, don't worry about it. We have this and we have this. So don't, you know? And so it's like, okay, okay, I guess I won't. 
um, then it still feels bad that you, that you didn't, you know, or at least I feel bad that I didn't. Maybe other people are like, great, didn't have to help, didn't have to even help them, you know, but for me, I'm like, oh, I really wanted to help or I wanted to feel like I, like, like I could do something. Right. And so I just, so I'm, I'm trying to let people help more because I know what it feels like when I say, or when I'm told, no, don't help me, you know? So anyway, it is, I, I just hope the Lord will bless them for their sacrifice. Cause I feel like I need to bring them dinner. Like her foot is still trying to heal from like over a year ago. And I feel bad. And the thought of her just walking around making me dinner, is just so humbling. But I know that she loves to serve. That's her love language. And so I, I'm trying to let her so now I'm trying to figure out what I can do for her you know <laughs> it's just like a big circle of love that we just go back and forth right um okay and then let's see it said uh where am I at? oh right here okay so there's a quote from elder m russell ballard oh actually first I wanted to ask this question that that the redheaded hostess poses, they said, imagine, oh, so wouldn't it be wonderful to know how this leper spoke of the Messiah after this experience, right? And that would be awesome. Like, it would be so amazing to, to see him going about preaching. But then she says, imagine people like him hearing three years later that Jesus had been crucified. Dude, I would be so devastated. You know what I mean? But like, especially if you hadn't gone to all of his uh, sermons and to hear him talking, and if you didn't know all the scriptures about like things that he was supposed to accomplish, I mean, still like, I still am sad that he died, you know, but I know all the blessings that have come from his sacrifice for me personally and for my family, but still it makes me sad. Um, anyway, I guess it fills me with humbled love. I don't know. Okay, so, uh, says we can easily focus on all Jesus's wonderful miracles and teachings, how important it is to also notice the moments like this, when Jesus separated himself and prayed to his father, consider how important these moments were in his ministry and his connection with his with the father, the direction he would receive, the strength he would experience. Okay, so, so we're now in the, in Luke 5, verse 16. Sorry, here we go. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass as a certain day, as he was teaching that there were Pharisees. So these were the Jewish, uh, sect that were strict followers of the law, right? And doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man, which was taken with a palsy and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before and to lay him before him. So, 
this refers to various types of paralysis. So the palsy is various types of paralysis or uncontrolled bodily movements. Okay. And when they, oh, and this is just an awesome, awesome uh, experience that happened to this guy. And when they could not find but by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And I'm like, wow, that is awesome. Like his friends brought him to Jesus, like, like did whatever it could take for them. He's like, people aren't stopping me. I'm going on top of the roof. Right. So that they could bring his friend, not even themselves, but his friend. Right. And when they could not find, oh, I just read that. <laughs> and when he saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. So, so much effort went to help him. And our immediate reaction might be like, wait, what? Like if we just carried this guy, our friend down and lowered him down into to see Jesus and he's all like thy sins are forgiven thee you'd be like at least I would have been like what what's he talking about he's not trying to forgive he's trying hey he's trying to get healed from the palsy maybe it's not obvious what problem he has maybe we should have added like a sticky on this guy like a note like this is what he's suffering from (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if you didn't know Jesus or who he was or what, and you didn't have, you hadn't read all the things that he's going to do, or maybe you had read all the things he's going to do and you're looking forward to those miracles, like the whole vending machine. Heavenly Father is not a vending machine, right? Anyway, so I guess this is kind of a vending machine story. If you think about it, they're putting something in and trying to get something different out. (laughs) Uh, that's awesome. Okay, but anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. So he says, and the scribes and the Pharisees uh, began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So speaking against God or sacred things was like a really bad thing for the Pharisees and the scribes. And like people were following him to see how he could uh, how he did his miracles, right? Because that's what people are more concerned with. It's like the show, right? Like, it's like some kind of magic show for other people. Some people were like legit, like needing to be healed. Other people were just following to see who this guy was, right? Who's this Jesus we keep talking about? He's healing people. Like, I want to check it out, you know? And, um, sometimes different and last night, or was it last night? Yeah. Last night, dad and I were talking about how it takes different experiences or different things to and different points of contact with Jesus Christ before someone is fully converted, right? So, and it doesn't matter how they come to Christ. Like if you're coming to Christ just to see his miracles, you know, great, right? Like as long as you're coming unto him, like just, just keep coming, right? We were just talking about how it doesn't matter how people come to Christ as long as they come. So, yeah, there could have been a bunch of people there that they were there for the show. And that's fine. That's like their first step to getting to know Christ. And that's okay. You know? And then the second step 
you know, there could be different layers. The second step would be like, wait, if he could do something for them, maybe he could do something for me. Right. And then that's like our second step, maybe. And just the multiple more times that we have contact with people, the better. In fact, when I was mailing out my, my, uh, Christmas mailers for the calendars that I was doing for Fidgety's first projects, print projects, the marketing people were trying to tell me like that it takes like at least, was it five or 10? No, I can't remember, but 10 seems more likely. Like contacts, like they have to come in contact with me in some way that many times before they actually start trusting me or think of me to come and be, have the, have me make copies for them for things. Ten, five to ten times, okay? I can't remember, five or ten, marketing thing. And that's like the same with Jesus Christ, you know? Like, you have to have several points of contact. That's why when they talk about, and this is what Dad was saying, he's like, that's why in General Conference, they talk they have so many different people with different backgrounds sharing stories and, and experiences about Jesus Christ in there and the gospel. And, and hopefully one story will touch someone and then that will be, that will be like their one contact or that will add to their bucket, you know, to continue to want to follow Jesus Christ. So it's like the whole come and see, you know, come and see and come and know and come and do and come believe. And I can't remember. It was like, I think, Elder Uchtdorf said something. Um, it was like that. I'm the worst, you guys. I can't. I'm going to look it up. Hold on. Oh, I love Google. Okay, here we go. It says, this is from Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf. By the way, one of my favorite apostles. Him with Elder Bednar are up there. Okay, so his gospel, you're not supposed to have favorites, but I have favorites. Okay, his gospel and his church are an important part of your life and who you are and what you do. Therefore, invite others to come and see and come and help. And God will do his saving work and they will come and stay. End quote. And that was from uh, General Conference. Oops, never mind. Hold on. Boop, boop, boop. April General, General Conference 2019. Okay, and this was talking about... Um, I think it's the come and see talk or the come and belong talk. Come and belong. Oh yeah. April 6, 2020. Okay. Is that what I just said? Oh, 2019. Well, I'm sure that he, it, anyways, it's pulling up a church news article from 2019, but then it's also pulling up 2000. 19 and then 2020. So he probably quoted himself a couple times. Um, that makes sense. Why wouldn't you use your same material? Okay. And then, you know, repetition. So, um, where was I? Okay. And when he saw, oh yeah. So he says, my, thy sins are forgiven me. So right now we're like waiting. We're like, his friends were like, okay, well, I guess that's a good first step, you know, and the Pharisees were getting angry and we're like, he's not done. <laughs> but it was, but then he said, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, <laughs> the Pharisees thoughts, 
He answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. So, um, oh, never mind, verse 24. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately, and immediately he rose up before them, and took up the whereon, took up that whereon he lay, and departed in his own house, glorifying God. So he healed physically. But I guess what he's saying here, and he says, and they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, "We have seen strange things today." Um, so it was harder to. It was harder to forgive sins because only God can do that. Whereas a lot of people have experienced miracles in their lives. And so that's what they were thinking. They were thinking, we're just, we're just coming to see the miracles, you know. And and then they, they witnessed even a greater miracle that nobody else can actually perform but God. And I like I like that. that we are shown that our sins are more important than, because he knows the desires of our heart and he knew the desire of this man's heart. And this man, although was sick, his first desire was to be healed from his sins, to be forgiven. And so that's what the Lord did for him. And I'm just guessing that's what he wanted at first. Because there's actual studies right now that show that when we are uh, not right, when we have anxiety, when we have uh, heartache, when we have traumas in our lives, when we have hard things that are happening, when we are just doing life, the things that cause us emotional, spiritual uh, turmoil are the things that our body will manifest in a physical form. Now, mind you, no, there's been no studies that I know of anyway, that are like, if you're not right with God, you're going to have physical problems. You're going to, your anxiety and all that stuff's going to take over. And then you're going to have physical problems. That's just my belief. Like, as I'm reading these different studies of people who suffer from their body, it's like as soon as they were able to meditate, for example, or exercise or eat better and things like that, you know, um, their bodies started to heal, but not necessarily like from like what they're supposed to be healing from. Right? Like, like they didn't get back surgery, but their back got better because they were meditating. They were eating. They were no longer drinking alcohol and they were no longer doing drugs and they were no longer, you know, all the things. And so there's a, it's just like, if we're not right with God and we know where that needs to be, our body is going to fight back. Our body is going to find a way to tell us that we need to get right with God again. 
And so it is important for us to make sure that we're always connecting with Christ and heeding his promptings so that we can be blessed. And so that, you know, whatever happens in our life, you know, it, it's like the scripture says, you know, seek you first the kingdom of God and everything will be added unto you. Like everything, he's talking about everything. Like our bodies will be added unto us. We'll have strength. We'll have uh, joy. We'll have all these things just because we sought God first. He's the most important connection in our lives because our soul thirsts and hungers after that connection with our creator and and if we're not right with god we'll experience a lot of things like depression anxiety sadness uh all the mental illnesses if you will throw those in there <laughs> and um and i and i'm only speaking because of i have experience here Okay, I did not go to church for so long and I was trying to ignore all of the promptings in my life in a specific period of time in my life when I was before I met your dad. And it was just full of darkness. I was like just depressed all the time. Felt like I was crying a ton. And it just was not it's completely opposite to what I feel right now. Right now I feel like light, like light and energy. And even though I'm not doing maybe all the things that I wanted to accomplish today, I still feel amazing compared to what I felt back then. And the only difference, okay, the only difference is that now I put Christ in my life and before I was trying to ignore it. There were, I could, I still remember there were subtle messages that I could see that he was trying to send me like, it's okay, you can come back, you know? Like I would see pictures on the wall or I would see, or somebody would, that was a stranger would smile or, you know, people would be kind or, you know, there was just certain things that I could see that were trying to help me come back, but I was ignoring. And there was a sister, and maybe I told you guys already, there was a sister who, was uh, ministering to me in the form of visiting teaching. She would write cards to me every month and would just tell me that she loved me. And I was like, that is so crazy. How does this woman love me? I don't even know her, you know? But it was those small messages of love and of hope that brought me back, that helped me remember. And I remember the feeling that I got every time I read those cards, it was like full of love. It was like, so weird, this old lady loves me? I just imagined she was old because only old people do that kind of lame stuff. <laughs> like handwrite cute cards in cursive. Anyway, I wish I would have kept those cards, but it was back in the day when I was young and threw away everything. Now I tend to keep too much things. So let's get in between that. Anyway, so, so yeah, so I just love that that is the first thing that our soul hungers for is we just want to be forgiven of of the Lord we want to be forgiven because then we can heal we just want to be forgiven of all the things that we do that are not right we want to forgive ourselves we want to forgive others we want to 
have him forgive us because we're so imperfect and that is how we can heal and I remember talking to my bishop and he was just like trying to just be so kind and just told me that that it's not like I'm not supposed to be perfect and he didn't expect me to be perfect and that when he says come follow me he's not talking to everybody else except me he's talking to me and so anyways that was such a kind bishop bishop bogus um anyways okay where are we at oh we were gonna read this from elder russell uh elder m russell ballard he says first think about your life oh this is about when jesus uh went away um when he uh, withdrew himself into the wilderness, right? So he says, first think about your life and, your, and set your priorities. Find some quiet time regularly to think deeply about where you are going and what you will need to do to get there. Oh, planning. I know. I need to do more of that. It's clarity. He's trying to help us find clarity. Okay. Jesus, our exemplar, often withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. We need to do the same thing occasionally to rejuvenate ourselves spiritually as the Savior did. Write down the tasks you would like to accomplish each day. Keep foremost in mind. The sacred covenants you have made with the Lord as you write down your daily schedules. April 1987 General Conference. Okay, so I'm just crying a little bit more because I'm trying to figure out the answer to why I'm not doing the things that I want to accomplish and I getting answers through this other book as well but I love lessons from apostles and it's so funny because the other book is trying to tell me like you just need to you know write down your calendar calendar equals control and make a list and write down your goals and I love that he just confirmed all of the secular things that I'm learning that the Lord, he's such a good example of this, you know, write down my daily schedule. And it's just right there for me to know that that's my next step. Okay, um, and I used to do that and I've stopped. And so how did he know I needed that quote right then, right? This is why we take time to read scriptures, to read words of prophets and apostles, because in those words, we can hear the voice of the Lord speaking directly to us. Okay, and then, um, uh, here we go. We're going to read the last bit of Luke, chapter 5, and then we will be done, okay? And after, so verse 27, and after these things, he went forth and saw a publican, a tax collector named Levi, it says Levi in the scriptures, but it's also, he's also named Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. A station set up to collect taxes was called receipt of custom. And he left all, rose up and followed him. Dude, Matthew, he's the best. And you can see this in the Chosen movie too. Oh man, you guys, I'm so excited. The Chosen episode, season three, episode five and six, we get to watch tonight as a family for movie night. 
And then tomorrow I get to go to the movies with two other sisters. One of us, one of which is our Sunday school teacher who I've missed going to Sunday school because I felt like I learned so much in Sunday school because I get to learn so much from people around me. I just haven't been able to do that because I'm in primary and I love primary. Those children have taught me so much, but it's just different, you know, it's a little bit different. And so I'm so glad that I get to go with her and, of course, Sister Wilson. I love her. And she's just such a strength and a pillar to me. And I look up to her so much. So, okay, so it says, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured. So the experts of the law were despised. They despised the publicans. <laughs> um, so they, the Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They are whole, need, wait, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, this is what the bishop was saying to me. Um, and they said unto him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. So there were some of them were still following John the Baptist and were comparing themselves to Jesus's disciples. And he said unto them, can ye make the children? Sorry, hold on. And he said unto them, can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And he spoke also a parable. So he was saying, let the friends of the bridegroom celebrate while they are with him. Oh, I love that because, you know, why do we fast? So we can get closer to Christ. But if you're literally with him every day in person, he's saying they didn't need to fast. I'm already with, like, I'm literally with them. <laughs> But they didn't get that because, you know, they don't understand the words of Christ, even though they think they're so smart. Isn't that how we are sometimes? We think we're so smart. We don't need more words. Okay. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh rent. And the piece that was taken out of the new garment, uh, new, agreeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. So he was giving a parable. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both be and both are preserved. So no man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. So he's saying old bottles or wine skins crack and leak, and new wine would then be lost. <clears throat> and those who only drink the old wine, the Pharisees, will not want the new wine. So Christ is the new law, which doesn't hold up the old ways that had been de developed by the Jews, which makes sense because he's just bringing new stuff, right? He is the new garment. You don't tear a new garment to repair an old one and they would both be torn in the end, right? I mean, I, I like the, the way that he shared those parables because when we're trying to adopt new things 
We need to get rid of the old ones completely. We got to just replace it. Sometimes we can't just mix and mingle, right? You have to replace the whole thing. Like if I was getting a new TV, I wouldn't cut the old one in half just so that I could piece the other one on. You know, you just kind of come in with the TV and you replace it all together. Or what if you're like, I'll just, you know, kind of like what we do in our house. I'll just use this old remote on this new TV. Well, yeah, except it doesn't work good, right? Because the old remote has buttons on it that aren't relevant or that don't work. And the new TV has new buttons on it that allow us to open new things and do things differently. And so, you know, you just don't get the full experience with an old remote and a new TV, you gotta use the new TV with the new remote, okay? That's just an ex uh, example because that's kind of what we do. We try to mix and mingle all of our remotes and like sometimes they just don't work the same and you're just like, ah, you know? But anyway, um, okay. Uh, thank you for showing up. And this is now a full two hour episode, <laughs> crazy. And thanks for being here, I love you. And we'll talk to you soon.